when something was not right, when something went wrong, and they felt that they weren't helped in a personal way or that no one kind of cared, so to speak, those were the people who obliterated us on the surveys. But the people who had a challenge, whether or not the challenge was ever able to get resolved or not, but they genuinely felt heard and and like people people put the effort in to try to help, those are the people that wrote back and were most likely to return. The coffee is black and our oval is blue. Welcome to the Customer Experience Podcast, brewed fresh for you. I'm Phil. And I'm Matt. And this is Black and Blue. Phil, I'm excited to taste what you've poured for us. What are we drinking today? All right. Well, I'm not going to make you guess where it's from this time because that went just too well last time. Uh, But I am going to cheers you and then tell you a story. And when I'm done, I want you to tell me what notes you're tasting. And I will tell you if you're right. That's a satisfying clank. Cheers. Okay. So this is a coffee by City Girl Coffee Co. First, I guess I should say they are not sponsoring us. They are just a delightful coffee company. A um, little about this, this group. It's interesting. They were started in 2015 by Eliza Bobut James, um, but her parents actually started a specialty roasting company back in 1990. So coffee runs through this family's veins. Um, and they source their beans exclusively from women-owned or managed farms and co-ops. Um, and a portion of their sales goes directly to organizations that align with their mission of empowering women. So, so they really have their beliefs and they, they flow through every bit of their business. I thought that was very cool. So that's why I chose this coffee for us. Um, I hope it tastes okay. Uh, we had great. some unconventional brewing methods uh, here in the studio. But... Tell me, Matt, what notes are you tasting? I'm getting notes of there's definite peach or apricot, some kind of stone fruit, getting a little nougat, and uh, Pop-Tart. You're, you're just making these up. Uh, I'll give you one. Sweet dark chocolate. Yeah, that's with, what I said. With hints of, you were right there, uh, with hints of? A nougat. Uh, citrus. <laughs> yeah, citrus. You're right there. Uh, Yeah, so pretty good. I like it. I'm an expert. So for anyone who's just stumbled across this podcast for the first time, uh, know that there is an episode one that you've missed. Uh, We highly recommend you go back there. You can get some context on uh, who we are and why we're here. Um, But we wanted to sort of set the stage for what we're looking at uh, today as we continue to dive into the series. Absolutely. And as a refresher for those who stuck with us in episode one, we began to dive into our epic customer values that we focus our experiences around, easy, personalized, intuitive, and contextual. So today we move on from easy from episode one uh, and into the topic of personalization. We'll get into what personalization is in a moment, um, but in keeping with that theme, I thought we would call out someone very special. A little inside baseball for those of you who are listening, uh, when we talk about those who use our IT products and services, um, we all reference the same fictitious customer. Are you talking about the Fred in accounting? The Fred in accounting. We don't actually know if there is a Fred in accounting. In fact, we're not even sure if accounting goes under the moniker of accounting. Um, But in the spirit of personalization, we wanted to dedicate this episode to Fred in accounting. Yeah, referencing the end customer of the experiences we're creating helps us keep in mind that there is a human on the other end of our work. We want to stay out of focusing on processes and keep what we are building something personal. 
In terms of Fred and accounting, he reminds us that he may be a customer who's not quite like us in IT, different experiences, different skills, and he needs us. So Fred, if you're listening, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. So Phil, did you ever work in retail? I did. I was a sign dancer at a pizza shop, and then they moved me inside making the pizzas. We could spend a separate episode on that. We will. I used to work at a well-known clothing store, uh, and to this day, I still find myself folding the clothes at stores when I'm shopping, uh, a habit I'm trying to break. Um, After that job, I worked on the front line at a bank, and my branch was located within this large shopping mall. And before the stores opened each morning, uh, senior citizens would fill all the hallways and go for their morning walks and have coffee together. So this one time, uh, it was when I just first started my job at the bank, this elderly man walked in, uh, having just finished his walk, and he walked up to the bank teller next to me, and he asked to withdraw 99 cents. And my coworker, who was helping him, just laughed and said, so you want a dollar? And he said, no, I want 99 cents. And so I watched in bewilderment as my coworker had to go to the back of the bank to go find enough pennies and nickels and, and coinage to amount to 99 cents, hands it to him, and he, and he left. The next morning, he comes back in again, and he walks up to me, and he says, I'd like to withdraw 99 cents. And so I asked him, why specifically do you want 99 cents? And so the answer was rather entertaining. He says, well, whatever you withdraw from your account, you wind up spending. But he was serious. Uh, It turns out that the mall walkers, once they're done, go back to the food court to have their coffee together, Um, but they tend to sit with people who choose the same coffee as them. And so in a food court, obviously, you have many options. And so you kind of had these, these groups of customer segments, if you will, of the market. So you'd have these, what they called uppity people who would drink the $6 a cup coffee and sit together. And then you had these kind of mid-range options that they would go for, but they'd all sit according to the brand that they'd chosen. And then there was the rock bottom, 99 cent senior citizen special, and that included tax. And so this man happened to be part of that category and he wanted his 99 cents and not a cent more. Hmm. So I smiled and went to the back of the bank, retrieved all his coins and, and gave it to him. So the next morning when I came in, the first thing I did was I went to the back of the bank and I got 99 cents ready for him. And he walked up to me and before he could even say what he wanted, I just slid the stack of coins across to him. And he looked at me, he was shocked. And from that morning onwards, the 99 cents was always ready for him. And it was a very small form of what we're calling personalization. Um, But I understood what his preference was, even though it was a little gimmicky. Mm -hmm. And he knew he could trust me to come through for him. And so he would actually wait even longer sometimes until I was finished with the customer before him just to come in and see me to get the 99 cents for me, not have to explain over and over again why he wants that um, exact amount. Interesting. Got to tell you, when you started it out uh, after he took a couple trips in asking for 99 cents, I thought there was a punchline coming. Sounded like a great joke you're about to tell, uh, but really interesting. Um, and it, it, I'm sure it went a long way for him that you took an interest in understanding what he wanted personally, and it kind of made his day, I'm sure. But was your branch really busy? Yeah. Was he the only person you were able to make that personal touch with? He was the only one looking for 99 cents. So his ask was unique, and so it made it easy to commit to memory. But yeah, he was one that we knew every morning he's coming in for that same 99 cent withdrawal every single day. And for whatever reason, he wouldn't do like the week's worth. It was part of his daily routine he liked. Cool. Yeah. Great story. 
Matt, it's time for us to introduce the other half of the legendary integration duo from our team. They work tirelessly to keep service teams working together to launch cohesive experiences that really work together to delight our customers. Last episode, you met Mandy, and this time we welcome Amanda. Amanda, hello. Please tell everyone what this episode is all about. All right. So as you guys alluded to, right, we're going to focus on the personalized part of Epic. Uh, but what exactly makes an experience personalized? Uh, so a funny thing about personalized is that it can actually mean something different to everyone. And part of that can depend on how up close and personal someone wants to get with the companies that they interact with. Uh, but basically, it all comes down to a customer being able to tailor or customize things to best suit their wants or needs. Uh, even if that means slipping into something a bit more generic, right? And that choice in and of itself is, in fact, personalization. So thinking back to our first guest on the podcast from a coffee house, uh, customizing coffee or any food item is a really common personalized experience that we see. Um, I know personally my coffee is not black. I enjoy mine with copious amounts of milk and cream. Uh, and I even throw in some sugar-free syrup. We're going to have to edit this out. Yeah, that's not allowed. Uh, so how do you guys like your coffee? Black. Black. Should have known. <laughs> All right. Um, so another example is maybe how you have your applications displayed on your phone screen. Uh, so you can organize the similar apps into folders, or maybe you just mad dog it and you add your apps automatically to your screen without a care in the world. Uh, <laughs> other people... Uh, like the minimalistic approach, right? With only a picture of your favorite memory and all of your apps are, you know, hidden, kind of not in folders, not even on your home screen. Um, but the point here is that it's yours and you can easily make it your own way. How do you guys keep your screens? Are, you, are we chaos monkeys or are we? So I, I tend to be a, a chaos monkey, but every, you know, couple months I'll go through a kind of feng shui of my phone uh, mindset and I'll delete you know everything I can. I have way too many apps um, and I've been trying to get rid of distractions a lot. Uh, so I take the social media apps and I either delete them all week or I'll slide them to the back page of the apps. Um, so I that's really, why you don't respond to my messages. I move Matt's uh, contact to the trash. Uh, <laughs> it saves me distraction. Uh, but I wish I wish my phone would dynamically slide the apps that I use the most to the front page. I don't know if that's an option, but I was thinking about that. Mine actually does, does it really? and I love it. And it even knows the time of day I want that app. So it will only show up in the evening when I typically want it. And then during the daytime, it'll give me the productivity ones I use for work. No way. Yeah. So I probably am like a hybrid of wanting to be organized as a bit of a chaos monkey, but that personalization actually helps me be, be more productive. And so I'm less monkey than I probably actually am. Very cool. Do you also have the option to turn that off? I've never tried because it's so helpful. I don't know. Mm. Fair. I could see how people would want it to be turned off, though. So that's a great point, too, right? So if you can turn that off, you might find it really helpful, whereas I tend to think that's a little bit on the creepy side, right? So I might turn that off. Um, but I think that's the whole point of the personalization, right, is to be able to give your customer the choice to decide how they interact with your product or your service or whatever it is, um, you know, that you're providing your customer. So these are some things that we might take for granted on the daily, right? But that's because we're so used to having the ability to customize our coffee or our digital devices, right? It's just something we've been doing 
you know, forever, right? As long as we've had digital devices or as long as we've been drinking coffee, etc. And it's easy to forget that there was a time where you couldn't personalize things, uh, especially if you wanted any color other than black on an old model Ford, right? But now customers have come to expect personalization from companies. Uh, and we'll get into a little bit of this um, in our fast facts section. Uh, but, <laughs> but brand loyalty is driven in large part by personalization. So, of course, not everything might appear to be a candidate for personalization at the surface. And this is where stepping into your customer's shoes and having empathy might help you dig a little bit deeper and figure out what you can do to increase personalization and improve the overall customer experience. Um, it could be as simple as including their name in the intro of a standard email that your team sends, or maybe it's giving them an option to change the color on their own dashboard. I think the, the key here is a, giving our customers a choice to make your product or service, you know, their own. Um, but there's another element of it. And that's really, um, you know, the root of the word, right, it is personal, um, making them feel like a person. So, you know, they're a human. We talked about, you know, Fred from accounting. Um, we're not just designing for this mythical being, right? The making sure that our customers feel like we know that they are, that they're real, that they're human, that we care for them you know, and just, and really allowing them to, to make it their own. All right, Phil, it's time for what might be our favorite segment that we are starting to do. And I know this term has become a daily part of our vernacular. Hit us. Fast facts. Absolutely love fast facts. All right. Fast facts about personalization. Phil, take it away. All right. So I found uh, a few uh, fast facts from a variety of what I would consider credible sources. Um, and they all paint a picture of uh, personalization through a journey. And, and it tells us that it matters where you implement personalization. So um, talking about uh, e-commerce um, marketing, uh, personalized email subject lines received a 7.4% open rate for that email. And then when the email message text only is personalized, so the piece of the, the body of the email that you can see before you open it, when that's personalized, it received an 18.8% open rate. Hmm. But when the subject line and the message are personalized, the open rate dropped to 5.9%. Sounds so, like spam. Yeah, a little bit intrusive maybe. And then personalized homepage promotions influence 85% of customers to buy. And then personalized shopping cart recommendations influenced 92% of shoppers. And then 54% of shoppers anticipate a personalized discount within a day of sharing their information with a retailer. So if you ask for personal information, the customer expects you to do something good with it. All right. Well, it's hard to top fills, but uh, I will do my best. Um, so I have um, some facts that are around um, up perhaps a, a disconnect between what companies offer and what uh, their customers perceive. So while 85% of companies feel that they provide personalized experiences, only 60% of their customers believe the same. And this is why looking at the customer experience is so important. Uh, we need to make sure that 
what we think is working is actually working for our customers. You know, by definition, personalization, it's different for every person. And we need to make sure that what we're offering makes them feel good, right? And like a human and they that they want to interact with our service or product again. And this really struck a chord with me because we sometimes make changes to our systems or our processes here. Um, and we think they'll be really good for our customers and we think that's what they want. Um, but maybe it doesn't resonate as we expect. And that is really not great when considering that 71% of customers want businesses to provide personalized experiences, but 76% of them are frustrated when this does not occur. Interesting. My fast fact is not related to that, but it does highlight a similar thing that personalization really requires an exchange of trust, right? We require trust from customers in order to provide a personalized recommendation or a, hey, we see you and know you kind of an intention. Uh, And so the fast fact I went looking for immediately with this topic was the classic question, is my phone listening to my conversations, right? We've all been there where, uh, you know, you have a conversation with a friend or your spouse or whoever, uh, and then the next day, magically, you've got five recommendations on your browser or your social media telling you you should buy that thing you just talked about. Um, and we all feel a little creeped out about it. And surprisingly, as I went looking for the answer, there's a lot of debate about whether or not it's actually listening. Uh, I thought there would be a pretty black and white, clear cut answer. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. Uh, however, there was a study done earlier this year, a joint study between uh, University of California and the University of Washington, um, where they constructed an environment using Alexa devices and fake personas testing a singular topic. So each persona would only talk and discuss one thing and they would see if it really would play itself out or not. So they looked at things like dating, animals, religion, navigation, uh, vanilla, which was their control. Uh, And in the case of Alexa, they came to the conclusion that yes, the device is listening, um, but it's listening to your voice interactions with the smart speaker, not necessarily your conversations. Uh, So only when you engage using those trigger words, but Amazon would take those and offer them for sale to third parties who can then use that to provide you recommendations that target your demographic. Uh, Following the study, Amazon actually explained that it does indeed use voice interactions with its smart speakers. Uh, And in fact, just like search engine entries, your voice uh, requests are used to build data profiles um, to understand customer types, the kinds of things you're interested, um, and ultimately provide you with those targeted ads that we've all seen. And they use those internally, of course, to recommend products that you should order. Um, But before you break out your tinfoil hats, you know, they're not listening to everything. They are waiting for those trigger words uh, (laughs) to understand what you're wanting or what you're you're seeking. Uh, And they're not listening to everything and recording non-interaction dialogues. So we're pretty confident in that. And if not, um, hi, Bezos. Okay, and with that, it's time to pay the bills. Uh, We have our second totally real sponsor. Cue the commercial. Are you tired of spending hours every week shopping for different foods to satisfy your ever-evolving cravings? Sick of cooking special meals for your ungrateful kids or your latest fad diet? Embarrassed about having to ask for allergy information at restaurants? Well, say goodbye to the complicated world of craveable cuisine and hello to the simple life with Slop Surprise. With our one-size-fits-all approach to meal service, each month you'll receive 30 buckets of our monthly recipe, curated and blended by my grandmother. All you have to do is open the lid and shovel it down. Now you can finally forget about your allergies, because we sure have. 
No additions, no substitutions, and no worries. You'll get what you'll get, and you'll like it. And no more working overtime in the kitchen to please your family. They'll be long gone before you can even get the lid off your slop surprise. If being fed well has got you fed up, come join the meal trend millions of farm animals have enjoyed for centuries. So come kick the bucket with Slop Surprise. Uh, our next segment is our guest interview, uh, which is sort of our main event of this episode. Uh, and we happen to have two guests with us today, uh, Denny Houston and Ryan O'Neill. Welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I won't spoil uh, your background or any information about you. Um, one of our favorite segments that we do on our podcast is something we call, Phil? Fast Facts. Thank you. Uh, and we like to to walk through different facts about the topic that we have, and we thought, why not have each of you, since we understand your friends, uh, give some fast facts about each other to help us understand who you are and what you're all about. Uh, so Ryan, why don't we start off with you? Ladies and gentlemen, I am Ryan O'Neill, and I'd love to introduce you to my good buddy, Denny Houston. Denny Houston is a father. He is a husband. He is a new runner. I'm very proud of him. And he is also uh, working in the finance industry. And if you asked him, he would rather be fishing. His favorite Avenger is Captain America. And his indulgence food, folks, it's a Big Mac. Unbelievable. I feel like there should be, like, applause or some kind of sound effect in the <laughs> it's back. It's there. You, just, you, you can feel it. You can't hear it, but you can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said he's a new runner. Denny, what kind of running are you doing? Hey, hey. So I'm actually uh, just come off of a half marathon. It was my second one. Um, nice. and I am, uh, I'm training for my first full marathon. It'll be in February. Well, we tip our hat to you. Way to go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So started probably 18 months ago. Ryan O'Neill actually, uh, amongst other things is, uh, my life coach, uh, <laughs> and good friend. And, uh, honestly inspired, inspired me about 18 months ago. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Denny, while you've got the mic about Ryan, why don't you give us some fast facts, <clears throat> fast facts, uh, about Ryan. Sure. Yeah. So his favorite Avenger, also Captain America. Wow. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, and um, his indulgence food, donuts. And currently, Ryan's training for his third marathon. Wow. You guys are ambitious. That's I had no awesome. idea we had superheroes coming onto the uh, the set today. Uh, most importantly, though, what kind of donut? You know, my two favorite, if I had to pick, uh, because my body is now at a point where it will only tolerate two before I start to have the sugar shakes. So if I have to get two, I would get glazed in an apple fritter. So classics. I like how your answer favorite donut is two. <laughs> my wife jokes all the time because I'll say, I'll say, love, I think I'm going to go get a donut. And she says, there's no way you're getting a donut. You mean you're getting donuts. <laughs> Cool. Hey, so uh, I, I'm sure Mandy told you the title of this podcast is Black and Blue, and the, the whole idea is that we're drinking black coffee, uh, and our Ford Oval is blue, of course. Um, so before we get into the, the, the meat of the topic, uh, do you both drink coffee? And if so, what's your preference? Yeah, I'll go first. I am currently drinking black coffee with you, Good and man. it's pretty much the only way I'll drink coffee now. Man, that's... That's bold. I do drink coffee. I uh, got back in the coffee kick, or I started my coffee kick, I would say probably around 2014, 2015. And it's not like a must-have every single day, but I just love the smell, the taste, and the act of either getting it or making it. So I go through a rotation. Right now, I'm, I'm currently a big uh, kick on Dunkin', and then I love my Nespresso machine, and then we've also got a Ninja. So we've got some options in the O'Neill house. 
Wow. You both worked at Disney in a past life. So wondering if you can tell us a little bit about who had the better role when you were at Disney? I, I think Denny will agree with me. I don't think it's too much of a stretch when I say that I had the better role. What happened was I was getting ready to graduate from Clemson back in 2011 in marketing in Spanish. And I had a vague idea of what I wanted to do. I remember very vid- vividly going down a pair of steps, seeing a poster for Disney's college intern program, and like I dead stopped. So immediately I jumped on board, the application process applied. What happens is you do, uh, for the program that we did, you do a phone interview and you say, like stack rank your top five types of jobs you want to do. So I said, obviously I want to do attractions. And then eventually when you get on site for orientation, they'll actually give you a booklet that says what your job posting is. So I get to orientation, I'm in line with everybody else, just like an HR, and they hand me the booklet and it says Kilimanjaro Safaris. And I said, cool, what's this? And everybody in line looked at me like, dude, you you don't know what this is? And I said, no, like the last time I was in Disney World, I was in the third grade, so the Animal Kingdom didn't exist. So I had the fortune of being a Kilimanjaro Safari driver in the Animal Kingdom. So I was live driving about a 40-foot <laughs> truck with anywhere from 20 to 30 passengers for about 20 to 25 minutes through Disney's uh, Animal Kingdom Safari. And it was it was a good time. And you're not still doing that. I'm shocked. That sounds like the job of a lifetime. You know, in some ways, I still am. I, <laughs> I perform on mic in person and behind the screen pretty often. So so in my deepest Disney heart, I still perform all the time. Awesome. Denny, how about you? Man, I, yeah, absolutely. Ryan had the best job. I don't know that there are many other jobs that are better than Ryan's. I actually applied very similarly. I was just at the end of college, um, kind of focused on, you know, academics. And and then before I knew it, I didn't have a job. Uh, I worked in a hotel for an internship, saw that, that Disney was hiring. Uh, one of the options uh, on this program that Ryan described was um, uh, front desk and concierge. I applied with that being my top priority, having a little bit of experience. And, and by little, I mean, I three months at a hotel in the summer. Like it was, it was very brief. Um, but when I got to Florida, that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, Fort Wilderness Campground, front desk. And so that was kind of my path uh, with Disney. Denny, after Disney, you got into the mortgage world. Um, tell us how that got started and why you're so interested in it. I had a friend uh, in mortgages, uh, and their company happened to be hiring. Um, it was something I had never done before. It was completely new. For me, the the biggest thing is just the relationship piece and, and how I get to just interact with people and kind of connect with people. That's awesome. I have a feeling we're going to be diving into that uh, a lot deeper um, in this in this interview. But, but first, um, Ryan, I want to move on to you and tell us about how you got into the personal training world. My career trajectory or path or adventure has been kind of all over the place. So I actually did professional sales for small and medium-sized companies for about five and a half, almost six years, and then eventually really came to the hard realization that I didn't love it and I didn't feel like I was being myself. So I needed to kind of figure out what it was that I wanted to do and what made me happy and how I actually wanted to spend my time. I was very fortunate back in 2013, 2014, when I actually moved up to Pennsylvania to get connected to an amazing coach at a gym. And she, without exaggeration, totally revolutionized my perspective on exercising because I was looking for something that fit what I wanted and I didn't know how to describe it. And then eventually it got to a point where when I left my professional job in sales, 
and I wanted something different, then I realized, oh, I could actually do some coaching on the side. And it started at the gym. So it first started with some group classes. So because of COVID, then I needed to pivot. So I actually, there was a period of time where I was teaching online classes or workouts here in our living room and had an online membership going. And that was helpful, but it didn't really fulfill me. Eventually, people started reaching out for one-on-one requests. It's such a different energy exchange, working with somebody one-on-one, customizing their programming, their training. And that's really how I got into fitness. And now I do both. I do group classes, I do one-on-ones. And Denny mentioned that I, I do multiple things. So like besides fitness, I'm able to also incorporate voiceover. So those are the two worlds that I live in. That's awesome. To, to what you told us about personal training, um, very impressive how you were able to adapt to what your customers wanted. And for some of them, that was a more personalized touch to their, to their exercise. And, and we're definitely going to dive into that. But Denny, back to you for a moment. Um, in your view, what core values does your company hold to and what makes it unique in the mortgage world? Um, I'm always going to be compliant. Number two, I'm going to offer as many services and products as I can to you. And number three, um, I'm always going to be available to you. Okay. And I'm always going to be honest with you. Every chance I have to speak with a customer is needs to be, it needs to be an interaction, uh, not to be cliche, right? But we have to take these transactions and make them interactions. If you're in the same zip code as someone in it, and it was really cold that morning, ask them if they, you know, that was, that was it this morning, scraping your windshield, you know, it's small things like that, but people, if, if, if you can be personal, people will remember it, right? If I can kind of break the ice and get to know them a little bit personally, um, and they trust me and they're comfortable with me, um, it, it's just going to make things a little, it's going to take the edge off for them. I think that was great. I think um, the thing that kind of stood out for me, and we, we had touched a little bit on this at the beginning of our podcast was, um, you know, there's the the concept of making something personalized. So it's it's theirs, right? It's customized, it's tailored, it's, it's for them. Um, but there's also that element of making them feel um, like a person, right? Like a human. Um, and it sounds like you, you're really taking that, that, those extra steps to make sure that they're not just, um, you know, another number coming into a bank and like you said, making a, a huge purchase. Yeah. You made some really yeah. good points. And, and to, to what you said, Amanda, if, if I'm buying a pair of shoes, I don't need the shoe salesman to yep. learn about my family <laughs> right. and ask me how the weather is, but I'm in a really vulnerable position when I'm handing over all of my life savings mm-hmm. to put a down payment down. I need to trust you that you're going to give me an interest rate that makes sense, that you're not going to sneak in some random closing costs. And like you said, you're talking to this person over you know a month-long period. We're, we got to form a relationship, and you got to understand what this purchase means to me. And it sounds like you do a really good job at that. Absolutely. Ryan, uh, 101. The, the one element that we, we talked about before you both joined um, was the transaction of trust that happens when we're personalizing something, right? Um, needing trust from your customer. Uh, and, and we see that, you know, even in your browser, right? You're always asked about, you, will you allow cookies or not, right? And depending on what that website is, you may decline or you may accept. Uh, but there's there's an exchange of trust. So the more I, as a customer, give to you, um, in theory, right? I, re- I receive an, an equal ratio of, of personalization, of recommendation, of, of knowing who I am. Um, Ryan, in your world of trust, and I'm thinking of, of, you know, with physical activity, you have goals, you have challenge sometimes, you have people who are probably on the spectrum of really excited to be working out and maybe really 
you know, up a steep climb just getting started. How does how does the personalization transaction of trust in that relationship, what does that look like for you? You know, when you said trust, actually the first thing I thought about was uh, somebody's safety because from a personalized standpoint, making sure from the get-go, whether a person is meeting me in a group setting or in a one-on-one setting, there's a couple things that I make sure that I express very clearly upfront is that I want them to be successful, that inevitably they're going to be challenged, but the most important thing is for them to be safe because longevity is one of the most important things for fitness, whether it's in a one-on-one, a group, or or whatever setting, and, and making sure that they know that I'm there and I have and I want their best interest is huge because if you're going to ask them to do something and like you guys said, if they're going to be in a vulnerable state, because like for a lot of people exercising in front of somebody else, whether it's a group or one-on-one, like you, it's very vulnerable. Like they see themselves and, and to them, they think they're not looking their best selves. Like I see them in their true self and, and they're like really putting it out there for me. So, so trust is huge, especially when you're working with either an individual or a group. I love that. It's interesting how trust looks different to different customers. I mean, a, you know, someone who's elderly or, or has injuries, they might be trusting you to make sure they don't get hurt. Whereas someone who's maybe really in shape and they just need an extra push, they're trusting you to make sure you, you know, push them to their limit and get them to the next level. So you need to understand, you know, how you need to be there for each individual customer. That's really interesting. One of the other elements, and, and Amanda just alluded to it a minute ago, um, is is the aspects of relevance, customization, right, tailoring. Um, you know, besides sort of the obvious one, probably of of you know tailoring a specific workout routine. What does that customization or or that that individual personalization, if you will, look like for your customers? Something for me that I've made part of my brand and I make sure that people know and word on the street that they know when they come to see me as options because some coaches will give a clear directive and they want one action and one outcome. And that doesn't work for everybody because some people don't have the same range of motion. Some people don't have the same uh, capabilities. Some people may be coming back from an injury. I mean, you can I can go on and on and on. So anytime that I'm coaching somebody uh, one-on-one or in a group setting, I'll make sure that I clearly express options. I'll say, hey, here's the main exercise and here's an additional option to make it more challenging or less intense based on what you feel like you need today. And that just opens up some breathing room for people so they feel like, oh, like he sees me and like he's making sure that there's something for me even though I might not be doing the same thing as somebody across the room or like two feet from me, just making sure that they feel like they have options. That's that's tough. I think it's easy to think about personalization when you're thinking about one-on-one trainings, but when you're in a class and you're delivering broad stroke, you know, one-hour class and you're still able to think about how you can give these options to everybody to make it their own, that's interesting and that's something that that we think about as well. I mean, we're delivering IT services to a gigantic company and it could be easy just to throw it out there and say, use it, here you go. But we need to be able to deliver options and little tailorings within that broad offering to to meet all of these different needs. Okay, so um, obviously, you know, you guys worked at Disney, right? And if you're thinking back to those, those wondrous times, um, how did you personalize your experience for the customers there? 
So what Disney Insight um, delivered to us, it wasn't necessarily everyone, like if someone had a perfect experience start to finish, that's what they expected to have. They had the experience that they wanted to have. Um, they weren't necessarily the ones who always gave the best surveys. What they found that was um, when something was not right, when something went wrong, and they felt that they weren't helped in a personal way or that no one kind of cared, so to speak, those were the people who obliterated us on the surveys. But the people who had a challenge – whether or not the challenge was ever able to get resolved or not, but they genuinely felt heard, and and like people people put the effort in to try to help. Those are the people that wrote back and were most likely to return, or recommend Disney as a service or a product uh, or a vacation destination to to someone else. Um, and that's that's still like on my mind. It stuck with me. Like if you have to you have to let people know that you care, especially when things aren't going well. Um, so I, the one example that I that I, I want to share is that uh, you know, his family's checking in, and the rooms were I don't know it was it was a nightmare. The room was booked incorrectly, or um, I don't know if we we lost availability due to mechanical issues. It might be that the guy just didn't book it right, but we were at the at the front desk, um, and we we just could not we could not get him exactly what he wanted. Uh, his daughter had just graduated high school, and you know, this was going to ruin her graduation gift, essentially. That's the short version. Um, I tried for a week to win this guy over. <laughs> I mean, I was giving him fast passes to rides. I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know if I, I give him a credit to a meal, a room night back, whatever it was, offer to change him halfway through. You know, for me to make things personal, especially at Disney, was to find the root cause of the problem, right? This had nothing to do with the price. He was absolutely willing to pay this. You know, it was expensive room and the services were, were great, but he was willing to pay that. The My last ditch effort was simply um, milk and cookies that I sent to the room with a personalized note uh, congratulating the girl on, on graduating high school. And that man all but hugged me the next day when he saw me and thanked <laughs> me for that touch for his little girl. Aww. Yeah. That, that's I, I love that story. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like at, at Disney, excellence is the expectation, mm -hmm. and you can deliver flawlessly, but you're getting middle-of-the-road surveys because that's what people expect. And to, to get those awesome survey reviews and, and people raving about you, you got to go um, and do some of the maybe intangibles, right, and, and see them as people and, and add those extra special touches. That's great. That actually happened to me one time. So my wife and I, I proposed to her at our favorite hotel, which is one of the ones that Denny temporarily worked at. And so Wait, it's are you the guy in the story? <laughs> He's not, but it actually it's, it happened at the same hotel. I was working at the hotel Ryan's talking about when that happened. Sorry, this is so I proposed to my here. wife in front of our favorite fireplace at this hotel. And uh, there's a waitress that was helping us. Uh, the next morning and we just said we say like she's like the normal like hey how are you guys are you enjoying your vacation and then I very quickly inform her and say yeah I just proposed and and my fiance blah 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 and she says oh my gosh and I tell her the story and then 10 minutes later she comes back with one of their awesome little cupcakes with oh. a little campfire and marshmallows on it oh. so I will never forget that woman's name and like we literally look for her every time we go back what's That's her name really cool her name's Wendy. All right, just testing you. Cool, you didn't forget. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> uh, and Ryan, let's let's hear from you on the the safari. I'm I'm really intrigued as to how you um, like. Did you do voiceovers for like the elephants or like? 
How did you make it like fun for each each group? So for anybody listening that has no idea, so in Disney World in Orlando, there is about a 20 minute ride. You get on the bus and like it's real, like you drive around and the person driving is like physically controlling the vehicle and you'll go around and you'll see live animals. However, the person driving the vehicle has given and been trained for about a week on spiels, not only safety for the truck and for the pastors, but uh, different speeches to say at different times of the performance. And that was to a degree, uh, give, we are, we're given a little bit of creative freedom because if you can imagine uh, real animals given a fairly open space, you're driving around, you're not necessarily gonna see the same thing every single time. So you have to have some information ready to go. And to a degree, not over the top, to a degree, you could add your own creative flair to it, like different different ways of sharing the information, different types of emotion, like kind of what Denny was alluding to before. And I said, in my own way, is that you want to seem like a person that's going to help somebody when they need it, because you're not always driving the truck. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> just real quick back to the safari. I don't know why this is so fascinating to me. Um, what was like the most personalization that you ever had to do? Like how off script did you ever go? One of my favorite stories that I tell people is that uh, for those that don't know, if you walk around the parks and you look at someone's name tag, you will notice their name and you will notice where they're from. You will also notice if they're able, a second language they can speak. So I also speak Spanish. And so as I'm pulling up to the loading dock, there is a huge group of Hispanics on the dock. And I don't remember what country they're from, but I knew immediately they were speaking Spanish. And I could tell from the exasperated looks of the other cast members on the dock that they're just like doing hand gestures and they couldn't really communicate. And uh, somebody, I don't remember what they said to me as I was pulling up, but they made a comment to me and I was like, game on. So I turned on the microphone and I started speaking to the crowd in Spanish. <laughs> and I said, I said in Spanish, I said, hey, How's it going, everybody? And the crowd just started going crazy. And then they get on and I say a shortened version of the safety spiel in Spanish. And I just said like, hey, just to make sure like everybody on board speaks Spanish, right? And they're like, yes. And I was like, great, let's go. And so we start driving and I say to them very candidly, I say, hey, I speak pretty good Spanish, but it's not perfect. So I'm gonna give you the best version of this show that I can in Spanish. And just like that alone, like the fact that I tried, they were so grateful and I'll never forget that because the crowd just erupted when they realized that they were gonna get somebody that spoke something besides English. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, what a great, like it must've made them feel so so welcome and so, um, you know, like like you really cared. I mean, I know that we can't all just learn Spanish like ad hoc, right? So it was great that you were there, right? But I think that that more than that, you were able to to give them that experience. I can't imagine listening to a safari in a language I don't understand. Right. I mean, we all know, I guess, in theory, what an elephant and a giraffe are. But like, but I mean, you could show. totally get the hand the gestures, show. and then you would hear the words and stuff, right. and you'd like kind of get it. Yeah, but not the same. Yeah, so you that's... saved their Disney experience. With that. You, you saved their experience. Did you hear that? For, for twenty <laughs> minutes, I did at least. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, really love both of your takes on that. Um, thank you for for sharing not only those answers, but uh, all of your your interviews with us today. We really appreciate your time. 
Um, we appreciate you participating in our humble little podcast we have going here at Ford. Uh, and, and no, we, we really, we appreciate um, you both coming on board and, and talking about what this looks like in your worlds. It's really helpful for us to step into shoes of others who are providing this kind of experience in planets and universes that are not our own. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. Well, guys, that was really awesome. I think I could have talked to them a little bit longer than we had them for. Uh, why don't we just go around and, and share a takeaway that we got from that today? Go. Sure. Yeah, I can go first. Uh, my takeaway is that people expect excellence. So like Denny said in his Milk and Cookies story, sometimes delivering spot-on performance goes unnoticed by the customer base just because they just expect it. So with our internal IT services, we're often just part of someone's day, right? They utilize us to accomplish their real jobs and often don't think about whether or not they're connected to internet or insert IT service here, right? So going deeper with our customers to make our services personalized where appropriate might just be the key to wowing them with their experience and getting those, you know, top-notch reviews uh, from them. Cool. Amanda, how about you? Uh, yeah. So um, what really struck me was the uh, fitness aspect. And I enjoy fitness, although I'm definitely not a marathoner um, like both of them. Um, but what I really appreciated was how uh, Ryan takes each one of his clients um, and he figures out what they really need, you know, their backgrounds, if they've got injuries or if they have any particular uh, goals that they're trying to meet. And then he designs, um, you know, his program specifically, which, uh, you know, he could just use some kind of standard template and just do some um, small additions or kind of, you know, put someone's name at the top and make it, you know, feel like it's personalized, but I think he takes it to a whole different level of, of personalization. And it's just, it was really nice to, to hear from him. For me, I thought um, personalization really comes to life through story. And what jumps out at me is, you know, in the safari tour in Spanish anecdote or the milk and cookie example, um, they're both scenarios that had empowered service teams who were armed with the ability to personalize. Um, but it wasn't really coming to life until that preparation presented with the right moment created a meaningful story. And I feel that preparing ways to personalize your experience and then looking for the opportunity with your customer to apply it is really where we see personalization come to life and really is the moment that you can go create your own story. It was very inspiring, Matt. Um, thank you both. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners. We, we really hope that you all enjoyed this episode and that you found something to take away when it comes to making experiences personalized for our customers. Uh, and in our next episode, we are jumping straight into our third customer experience value, Intuitive. And of course, we'll be tasting another unique cup of coffee. Looking forward to seeing you all next time. And until then, remember the old quote, you can have any Tech CX podcast you want as long as it's black and blue.